Hey everybody, welcome to One More Round with Josh Norris. Uh, if you like what you see today, make sure to uh, follow us, uh, like, subscribe, and leave a comment. Appreciate it. Today I'm super excited about our guest, Jerry Skydebor. Um, he has a, become a friend of mine. We met over at Opalife. Uh, quick bio, Gary, uh, Jerry is a father, cop, felon, and entrepreneur. Born and raised in the valley with a passion for family, entrepreneurship, building, and outdoors. Founder of Opalife in Tempe and Chow Grasso. That's Welcome, right. Jerry. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, man. So how you doing? Doing good, man. You know, just... Uh... Living the uh, living the dream. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I had a flat tire this morning. To had kick a flat it off. tire this morning. To kick it off. I had to drive it over to Ford and drop one of the cars off. And... It's always a fun way to start your day. Yeah. You know right. those types of things. Uh, but you know we were talking at, at Opal Life a couple weeks ago, and you were telling me some of your stories. I'm like, dude, you got to come on and, and tell some of these. Yeah, I could. Uh, I definitely think I could write a book. It's been a, an interesting life, but it's all part of my story, and I'm, I wouldn't change a. A second of it, yeah, you know, because it's led me where I'm at today. So. That's it, man. Everything happens for a reason, I believe. Yeah, I believe uh, it too. Yeah. So you've uh, been at your native. Where'd you grow up in the valley? Over on the west side. So I went to Ironwood High School. So that's over like 59th and Sweetwater. We used to play you guys as our uh, football pre like pregame. Okay. Um, every year from Chandler High School. I just remember because I'm like, this is the longest drive on the planet, you <laughs> right. know, especially back then. Yeah, I never really came over the East Valley. Um, it was one of those things where. You know, like when my growing up or uh, raising my son and, and moving, uh, living, still living on the far north end. I moved out to way out to North Peoria. And so coming over here to like Field of Dreams and stuff like that, it was, you know, hour and 20 minutes. Whoa, that was a drive. And then you're there all day for a baseball tournament. And right. it's like, man, this is the opposite end of the earth. It, it is, yeah. yeah. And that, you know, that commitment, especially when you got kids playing sports and stuff, right. it's an all day thing. It's all weekend thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I'm going through that now. It's, it's so much fun, though. Like, I, my boys are 12 and 10. Nice. Uh, one's playing volleyball, one's playing football. My daughter's starting to get active in, like, dance and stuff. Yeah. But I'm starting to see those weekend days start to, to dwindle as far as what, you know, we used to do. Right, for sure. But it's all part of the family. It is. Yeah. Most important part. Exactly. So I remember you were telling me you helped, you were living in Vegas, you helped open the Luxor. Is that right? Yeah, so we had moved to Vegas when I was uh, 18 years old, right out of high school. <clears throat> and I wasn't uh, looking forward to going to college. It just uh, wasn't for me. So um, my ex was. She had a scholarship to UNLV, so I followed her up there and moved to Las Vegas You know, from here. And um, how it started at the Luxor was the opening day. They opened the Luxor Hotel, and it was before all the big fancy hotels. It was just... There wasn't really anything like what there is today at that time. Mm -hmm. um, walked into Luxor Hotel opening day and they were just mad packed. And mm -hmm. I just walked up to one of the counters and said, are you guys hiring? And they're like, can you start today? Threw me a shirt and I started. And there's a big union. You know, every, every job in, in, in Las Vegas, most of it, especially dealing with the culinary stuff, is it's all unionized. Mm -hmm. There's a two-year waiting list. How they bypassed that, I have no clue, but it was meant to be and I started that day. and. Uh, loved every minute of it. It was crazy. Awesome. So, what yeah. was your role there? Food server. Food server. Yeah. And you know, think about like here in the valley, and this is 1993. Minimum wage was like 4.25. Mm -hmm. They started me like 7.50 as a food server plus tips. And um, you know, you really, I had like small jobs here in high school. You know, I was like working for fries or this or that, and um, never really thrown into the the circus that Las Vegas is. And that was. Um, you know, a test of everything about you as far as dealing with, you know, that many people in that kind of time frame. I mean, Luxor Hotel is a big hotel and it was just 
wall to wall people just completely filled flooded yeah, yeah I so I uh, know it well so I, that's where I got married okay I got married at the Luxor 16 years ago how crazy and uh, it's funny because everybody's like oh did Elvis do your wedding I'm like no it was actually kind of nice the, the chapel was nice and right. all the stuff but my family uh, was from here Arizona hers is from California it was kind of a nice meeting point right. um, but yeah Luxor I, I like it the the pyramid is just so cool to see when you're flying in. It's just one of those very distinguishing things. What other hotels yeah. were back then? I mean, you had like Circus Circus. You had... Uh, was the Bellagio there yet or was that no, after? No, no. There was nothing like that. I mean, really the big ones at that time was like Mirage. Um, I'm not even sure if Treasure Island was really open at that time. Really the big one was Mirage. That was like a fancy place. Mm -hmm. Mirage and Caesars were kind of like the big go-tos. And then okay. that's when everybody, like Circus, Circus Enterprises kind of branched off and started opening up some of the other hotels. And then, so what did you do after the Luxor? Did, or how long did you work there? I was there for three years, you know, and like just that opening weekend that I worked at the Luxor, you know, it, it cost $250 million to build the Luxor Hotel. And then I remember seeing reports, um, you know, for like the stocks and stuff like that, that the Luxor Hotel showed a profit of that opening weekend of like $260 million. So they paid for themselves like opening week. Oh my goodness. And then uh, shortly after that, that's when like the MGM opened up. Um, and then, you know, kind of all hell broke loose as far as them opening up new hotels. But I was there for three years. Okay. Did you get to meet anybody uh, that people would know? Any celebrities or anything like that? Um, I got the opportunity to deliver some food up to uh, some hotel rooms that, you know, the most notable one was Shaq. Oh yeah? At that time. So 1993. 94-ish, um, Shaq was there with like uh, um, another basketball player, but <clears throat> um, one of my friends worked down in, um, what is it called, uh, the delivery service, like room service. Right, yeah, room service. <laughs> so he worked in room service. I was service. thinking he calls me. <laughs> yeah, no, he calls me and he's like, hey, I'm delivering a, you know, an order to Shaq, want to come with me? I was like, yes. Yeah. So went downstairs, met him, got this food, go up to the door. And we just knock on the door to deliver the food, and he's in the shower. Mm -hmm. And you can hear the shower running because he left the door cracked. Mm -hmm. And knock on the door, and you just hear this overwhelming voice of like this, this monster of voice. Who is it? And you're just like, Ooh. like you just like in your bones, you're just like, oh my god, like who? It's your and he's just like, yeah, just push it in the door. <laughs> and uh, so that was that was basically. It. I mean, you see other people there. Nobody I can really name, but yeah. I mean, there's always somebody coming through there. It was that's awesome. What was uh, it was, there, it was a shit show? What did you learn the most by being uh, at that job? Um, what I take from it, like now, is how they had everything organized to a T. Mm -hmm. Everything was as far as business wise. I mean, everything had its place. Everything had a you know a system. They had had everything down to a T as far as organization, you know, logistics, you know, setup. Um, and, and just how they functioned as a business, it's just rock, it's rock solid. Okay. And there's just, there's just no, there's no gap in there for any errors. Right. And they eliminated everything, security, you know, um, you know, distribution. I mean, everything is just like boom, 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 boom. Nice. Just a, just a, just a fine point. And they just, you know, they perfected it. Yeah. No, the casino world, they're great. There was a book called The Gambler that I just read not too long ago. It's about a guy named Kurt Kikorian. So Kirk Kikorian, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but yeah. he actually owned a lot of the casinos down there or was a big investor in them. Mm -hmm. And the way he talks about the building the corporations, the systems, getting the staffing, bringing in you know, your entire C-level suite of, of how that part of the business worked was 
pretty fascinating. But right. yeah, I think to your point, like everything is perfect. Yeah. And it has to be. I mean, you're dealing with, I mean, how many people would you guess come in on any given weekend to a hotel or casino I mean, like that? That I, I really don't have a clue on, but I can tell you from my experiences is like, if when I walked in in the morning and say I was working in, you know, morning shift, so I got there, you know, 5 a.m., when I got there, I, you know, you walk in the doors, you go down, you get your bank. I mean, every, you know, the, the everything's set up. You just, you know, you, it's already preset. You just walk down, pick up your money bag, you go upstairs, and then you basically have a line of 500 people. Because this was, like I said, this was one of the premier hotels back in that day. Yeah. And there were so when you walked out and you walk up on the floor, everybody's waiting. You know, and you have a line of 500 people wanting, you know, coffee and you know, pastries to start their morning off or whatever they wanted. You know, and uh, so it's just like you walk in and you might be calm for a second and you just, you're in Hell's Kitchen right there, boom. Just, it's just nonstop all day long. You're exhausted, um, fatigued beyond belief for an eight-hour shift. Wow. Yeah. So you left there, and I know at some point you became a cop. Yeah. Yeah, was that something you always wanted to be? Never. Ever. Never, never thought I'd be a, a police officer. And it was one of those things where... At the time, we wanted to move back to the valley and start a family. Um, so we, we uh, I got married very young at 20, uh, moved back to the valley, and I needed a job to support it. And so I just started applying and um, applied with Phoenix PD. I actually started when I was still up in Las Vegas before I left. And, mm -hmm. you know, coming from making 100 grand a year, you know, or more in Las Vegas with the tips and everything was crazy. And you go come down here to a, a $12, and I'll never forget it, it was $12.90. <clears throat> That's what uh, Phoenix PD paid you in the, uh, in the academy at that time. So this is 96. It's insane. So uh, yeah. when you're a cop, that's how they made $12.90 an in hour? The academy. In the academy. When, when I graduated, it was fourteen forty. Yeah. And this is in, what, what year was this? 96. Wow. Like even by today's standards, even if it were to double, I mean, that's just not a lot of money for the risk. No, you made your money basically by doing, you know, overtime or side jobs. And um, so I've never made as an adult um, under, you know, under six figures. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that took a lot of effort making that kind of, a, you know, pay range. So yeah. it was just 80, 100 hour weeks every week. Yeah. Side jobs, this, you know, standing, directing traffic and all that other stuff that, that officers do to try to make ends meet. So you didn't want to be a cop. You became one to support your family. Yeah. And I mean, every we can all admire that. I've done, I've uh, done night stalking jobs and served breakfast uh, back to back for 14 hours when I had a, a gap uh, about 10 years, 12, 14, 13 years ago, uh, before I got my job at Gannett. And uh, but you know, you do what you got to do. Right. Um, but uh, what what was it like being a cop? Like, what was that experience like? So starting off, I mean, it was just a whirlwind because at the time I was hired, I was 21, 20 turning 21, going in the academy. Um, it was just so much stuff thrown at you, you know, because you have to be the, you know, try to be the, you know, jack of all trades as an officer. So they throw, you know, the academy is just a whirlwind of, of knowledge and trying to learn, you know, different, you know, laws and, um, you know, techniques as far as, uh, you know, that law enforcement officers use. but. It was, uh, I mean, that was a, it was a huge learning curve for me because it was, I went from a stressful, you know, time and at the, at the hotel situation to coming to an even more stressful, you know, position um, with the police department. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't always a, a dream of mine to be an officer. It was just one of those things where I got to do this to, to make a living. But uh, 
And I fell in love with it. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, you, you're going out every day and, <clears throat> you know, doing just every call is different. So mm -hmm. uh, it, it broke up a lot of the monotony of, of like a traditional job. Yeah. yeah. Well, any uh, close calls or any crazy stories? You know, every day was, was you know, th there were stories like that every day. Yeah. So every, every call was different. You know, you're, you're going from, you know, a bank robbery to a shoplifting, you know, to a domestic violence to, you know, a simple, you know, auto theft. Uh, so, it I mean, <laughs> the, the days were just, it breaks it up and makes it go by so fast. Mm -hmm. It was just, you know, you show up and, you, you know, you're running out and then you're coming right back in and it's like the day's over. But you've gone through so much stuff and you're so mentally fatigued from it that... Uh, yeah, it was a crazy time. Yeah, I kind of have an idea of what you mean. So I was in police science when I was uh, a senior in high school at Chandler okay. High. And Officer McElveen would offer people to come out on ride-along. So he'd take two to three students with him on a ride-along. And ours started with the domestic violence. And then there was somebody who had stolen something at a Circle K. And we had to stay inside, of course, for the domestic violence. Then we go to downtown Chandler. This is, by the way, back when downtown Chandler was the hood because it was not always a nice place like it is today. <laughs> and we get down there towards uh, one of the Circle K's it's, uh, near Pecos, and we see this uh, streetwalker, and, and not a good-looking one, by the way, <laughs> and then this uh, Hispanic fella walking this way, and they meet, and then they start walking together. And so they end up going you know, behind the alley, and I don't think I, legally he probably should have done this, but he's like, oh, let's, let's go, you know, behind uh, in the alley and we'll, we'll catch him. I'm like, all right, let's do this. And I'm stupid. I'm 18 years old, uh, 17 actually at that time. So we go down there and sure enough, they're doing some bad things. He shines the light, you know, we didn't like see anything, but shines the light and we could tell this guy couldn't speak English. He says, what are y'all doing here? He says, you know, this is not something you can be doing. You know, obviously we know what was happening. And uh, she pops up and says, you know, uh, Hey, are, you're you're a man, aren't you? It was a it was a crossdresser, and he understood the man part because this humility and horror just came over this <laughs> gentleman's face, right. and I'll never forget that. So I can imagine like that's my one experience. Yours had to be like thousands of that. Right, there were. I mean, every day was something different. Yeah, yeah. So um, you, as far as I know, I mean, you've been an entrepreneur. Like that's kind of every bit I know about you. So how did you get out of going to be a police officer to owning your own businesses and where was that start? I've always had that entrepreneur, you know, mindset and always wanted to, you know, jump out and do something for myself. But because of family obligations, which for me always comes first, mm -hmm. um, I was never really able to focus on that. So it was always just, you know, make your paycheck, you know, make sure you support the family and do that kind of thing. So I basically got myself into a situation. Um, I was 18 years on the, on the force. Um, you know, made a bad decision. To cut a long story short, um, I submitted a fake receipt to my insurance company on a, on an auto theft deal, and um, it was so I could get paid for you know stereo. That's what I, um, you know, in my mindset at that time was just about trying to support the family. You know, I didn't mm -hmm. have any bad habits, and but um, you know I did it, so I made a fake receipt, submitted it to my insurance company. Um, only two people knew about it, me and a friend who was not a cop. Mm -hmm. um, that person uh, ended up uh, letting PD know that I had submitted a fake receipt. And, you know, the everything tumbled from there. So 
I basically walked in and, and pled guilty to a, to a felony um, for a forgery for making a fake receipt. And that led, that led to my ultimate resignation from, from PD. So, Wow, and what happened? So I never actually uh, got to wear handcuffs, mm -hmm. you know, so that was a, a good part of it. But I basically walked myself in, pled guilty, and then, and then I walked myself into jail. Um, they, it was one of those situations where if, say, most people, most anybody else had done it, it would have been, uh, you know, it would have ended up being on like probation and mm -hmm. turned into a misdemeanor. It was uh, because I knew better, you know, and I did. Um, they kind of threw the book at me. And there was no no breaks, no nothing. So I had to do three months in in jail, and that was uh, that was my low, right? Yeah. Like I don't, <clears throat> and this was something that happened outside of police work. So it was a personal a personal deal. Um, I was always proud of you know what I did with the police department, and um, I, had a, I feel like I had a good reputation, you know, there as far as you know with the county attorney's office or the city of Phoenix prosecutor's office, and in the police department. So for me to do that and make that decision was just, uh, you know, that was, that was a horrible mistake. Yeah. But it led me to down that path of having to go to jail and, you know, I had a lot of time to think, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> I wasn't allowed in general population because I was a police officer. So I sat in a little uh, eight by eight cell, you know, for 23 hours a day for three months and get a lot of time to think about what's important and, you know, what's not. And, Wow. So, what do you do in the cell? Like, do you, are you able to get books and that kind of stuff? Yeah, or? you can order. I mean, you order. Yeah, basically, books shipped to you. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, I have a great family. You know, my parents, my mom. You know, she was, <laughs> she was sending me like, you know, twenty books a week. So I really, I just, you know, basically read my ass off and just bided my time to get out. Yeah. Kind of planning for my future, what I was gonna do. Wow. So, what what came about of that in your time in there? Like. What? So I got to the point where I, you know, I got out. Obviously, I'm not an officer anymore. Um, now I'm a convicted felon, and I have to decide how am I going to support my family. You know, I'd, at this point, I had a very, you know, very nice home on the side of a mountain. Um, uh, I had, you know, bills to pay. Mm -hmm. And when I left the police department, I, I cashed out my retirement, cashed out my 401k, and um, so I'm sitting on a little bit of money, and I needed to figure out what I was going to do for work. And I'm thinking. Now I'm a convicted felon. Nobody's going to hire me. For at this point, you know, this is 2014. I'm thinking, you know, who's going to hire me with that on my record? You know, so it pushed me and drove me to get into my own business. And that's how I ended up starting OPA. You know, I'm searching, I'm looking for something to do. And I'm basically like, how am I going to support my family? And that led me to, you know, investing into a restaurant, which you know, going back over of all the things I could have done was the hardest decision and worst decision I probably made. One of the best decisions I made though in my life, but <clears throat> jumping into opening a restaurant, um, it's just, it's the most difficult business. And you, you ask anybody who's ever opened a restaurant or run a restaurant or been in that, in that industry, it's just really difficult, Yeah, you know, especially starting off from scratch and, and opening up. And What are the toughest parts about it? <clears throat> um, one, if you're starting, you know, a new brand like I was at that time with OPA, it's just getting your name out, um, you know, logistically like food, um, and the biggest thing is employees, 
you know, it, it was one of the <clears throat> best and hardest things um, as far as that goes, is finding the right people, you know, you know, retaining them um, and putting out a good product. Yeah, no, I think people are the hardest for sure. Yeah. Um, I actually had a friend of mine, Laura, so she runs an HR consulting company. So all she does is really help people manage their people. Yeah. And, you know, it's always the most difficult because it's a moving target. You know, emotions are going to run high or and low for some. Right. And you got to manage it. You got to be staffed and all that stuff. And I've, I've gotten to know a lot of the crew that have, a lot of them used to work for you uh, prior to you selling it. Uh, and they're just great people. So you obviously had that down. Uh, what was the, So what does it look like when you start a restaurant? What are your hours like? Uh, do you get to take vacations or anything like that? So opening that restaurant, it was open to close every day for three years. There was no time off. And at that time, we opened at 6 a.m. and we closed at 11 p.m. So it was open to close three years straight just to get it off the ground. And, you know, you have, you know, we had significant you know, increase in revenue from the first year, you know, for the because we opened in, <clears throat> let's say July. So that year was probably, you know, 200 grand, you mm -hmm. know, and then you grow it to the next year, you're at 500 and then 700. And then, you know, if, if you finally break that mark of a million, you know, that's when, because <clears throat> the profit margins in restaurants are, it's, it's lower than most businesses. It, you know, you, if you get in the twenties, you're, you're doing a good job. Mm -hmm. So and it took it took three years to get that off the ground before I could actually take a break and actually enjoy some of my time. Awesome. So and um, you sold it right before the pandemic. I didn't sell it. I ended up uh, getting into you know in 2017 um, started a divorce, mm -hmm. and um, so that was uh, another huge you know difficult time in the, in my life as far as dealing with that. Um, that was. Uh, kind of uh, start to the end as far as my ownership in OPPO because when you start a divorce and you're a business owner and you know it wasn't planned it was just something that all of a sudden you get served and mm -hmm. <laughs> everything starts rolling downhill from there so then you start getting out of it and you know all these stuff you know by your you know on your own business it just uh, it turned into um, me going into more debt to pay off so I could keep ownership of that business. Mm -hmm. And and I wanted to keep my house, and I wanted to keep the business, so I ended up rolling into a bunch of debt with that that I needed to um, get out of. Mm -hmm. So I ended up giving up OPA, and then fortunately, um, somebody I knew was able to take it over. Okay, yeah. awesome. And then, uh, you know, at some point you got into the med spa business, is that right? I did, so that was in 2019. So middle of the divorce, I needed to generate another form of, of revenue because the restaurant was taking up so much of my time and everything was under such scrutiny during the divorce. Um, you know, income was basically all going to pay for attorneys and accountants and all that kind of, you know, stuff that goes on during a divorce. Um, so I started Chow, and I was basically talking to a physician who was talking about, um, you know, cool sculpting style, you know, devices and 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 that whole um, avenue. And he had a great idea, and he pitched me on it, and I went into business with uh, with him and opened up Chow. Cool. And yeah, Chow's been fantastic. It's we're in our you know fourth, fifth, going on fifth year, and uh, it was a good move. And it's something that I've never done advertising for. Mm -hmm. And right now I haven't been there in seven months and 
It's still still running. Right. It's doing still well. cranking. Yeah. That's it. So what advice would you give to um, you know a young entrepreneur getting into their own business, you know, starting out? What advice would you give them? So like I said, I had always had that that mindset of wanting to do, you know, something for myself and working for myself. Um, and and just like every business I see, I'm like, I, I want to do that. And I, I could do this. And, I, and this is how I could take that avenue, you know, make it better. Um, but the, the biggest thing for me was find something that you really love to do and do it. And, you know, give up some of those different sacrifices, whether, you know, it be, you know, you making so much money. But, you know, put that energy of, of working for somebody else into working for yourself. Mm-hmm. I, I love right now in my life that I don't have to wake up. If, you know, at a certain time, I don't have to be anywhere at a specific time. It's all about a choice. And having that choice is the biggest thing for me as being an entrepreneur and being able to still support myself and, and my family um, by, you know, working for yourself. Awesome. Well, what's on the horizon for you? So because I've had that divorce and, and that uh, stuff that, that, that came about, um, I've kind of been in a lull for about three years. You know, after I started Chow, I mean, that's been doing fantastic. But um, I have a lot of other ideas as far as what I want to do, and I've kind of put everything off to finalize that. And it's all kind of been finalized. Um, I'm at a really comfortable spot in my life, and I don't like being comfortable because mm-hmm. this is the first time I've ever in my life where I don't have to be anywhere. I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to do anything if I don't want to. Um, so I'm kind of taking, I was taking a little bit of a break, and it makes me feel lazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do have some other ideas. Right now we're working on uh, a big commissary uh, location um, in Phoenix where we're going to do a, a kind of like a ghost kitchen. Okay. But it's also going to be catering. So um, that's going to be the next thing we're doing. We're already in the process of doing of, of working on uh, the location lease, um, you know, website and all that kind of a, uh, stuff that goes along with that. But that will be the next big thing, and that's going to be... Um, for me, I think it's going to be actually really huge because this is a, taking over a facility that isn't basically utilizing all of the different aspects that they can actually do. Yeah. And <clears throat> so we're going to take it and we're going to blow it up. Awesome, man. Well, it sounds like a, an exciting venture mm. coming up. Yeah. Well, man, thanks for coming in today. Thanks for a having me. A lot of fun. Yeah. Hey, guys, if you like this, if you got any good information, enjoy the stories, make sure to like, you know, share us, and, you know, tell a friend. All right. We'll see you later.